Good morning, Every Nation West Coast. And good morning to all our first time visitors. We are so blessed to have you with us today, and we're excited to worship with you. Um, if you're joining us online, welcome. We're so glad to have you. Um, I'd actually just like to take a moment. I actually didn't prep this, um, but I'd like to take a moment to just appreciate Pastor Dennis and Pastor Nikki, who just pour so much into this church. Um, as I was preparing for this sermon, one thought just kept coming to mind where I was like, how do they do this? Oh, the time, like, yo, the weight of having to prepare a word every single week or every two weeks is quite a lot. And so I just wanted to just commend them for their service to God and just honor them for the amazing way that they lead us. Um, thank you for giving me this opportunity. I'm not sure if I wanted it so much, but I appreciate it. <laughs> Um, so, as Pastor Dennis mentioned, my name is Matilda, and I have two lovely, amazing parents, um, and I have three brothers, I know. The only girl, it's been a war in my household for the longest time. I can sometimes relate a little bit better to the boys just because I had no sisters, um, but I, I really love my brothers. They are truly amazing. I find them um, just just the pursuit after God in my parents' household is just unordinary. Um, and I think it's the way our parents have just raised us and the way they've loved us. And so I'd actually like to share a bit more about my parents' story with you guys. But before I jump into that, I'd just like to, share with, I'd just like to pray and then give you the title of my sermon. So let's close out as in prayer. Thank you, Lord Jesus, just for this day. We thank you that we have the opportunity to come and hear your word and to experience your presence. I just pray that as we've all come today with whatever we're carrying, whether it's burdens, whether it's feeling not good enough or disempowered or feeling as if we'll never match up to the standard, I just pray, Lord God, that your love will come and cover all of that, Lord. I pray that we'll find joy in you and in your word as we speak today um, and as we experience you. And I just pray that your presence will come and fill up this place, that it will not be about um, the words or what I say, but it will be about you. Um, and I just pray, Lord God, that you'll just lead me as I speak. Just give me the words that I should say. Um, and I just pray that your spirit will move. In your name we pray. Amen. So as I was saying, um, I want to share a bit more about my parents. And the reason I want to share about my parents is because today's topic is essentially devoted. So I want to speak about a life devoted. What does that mean? What does that look like? And my parents are a really good example of a life devoted. And there's two stories. First, my mom. So I remember one day I was kind of getting ready for church. I was in the living room up and down and my mom comes in and she just says, yo, I had such a good devotional this morning. And this is not uncommon in our household. We'll often have devotional and then come and sit together and kind of unpack, oh, this is what God is saying to me and this is what God is saying to this person. And so we love to learn from each other. So I'm thinking, yo, mom's going to unpack biblical truth. I'm getting ready. I'm opening my heart. I'm ready for it. And then she just says, God just made this really funny joke. And I was kind of like, what? Like, God is making jokes with my mom? Like, so bizarre. Um, just think about it. The king of kings, the creator of the universe, the author of all life is cracking jokes with my mom in my house. 
are you sure? Like, I was like, are you sure? And I can't remember what the joke was. I know I didn't necessarily find it funny. Sorry, Lord. Um, but I guess it was tailored to my mom's humor. So she loved it. Um, and so just the joy my mom takes in her time with the Lord and spending alone time with the Lord is just beautiful. And then the second story is about my dad. So some backstory to my dad is my dad has always been like a firehouse for God. Um, he always tells me that when, even when he was six, he was saying, I want to be a Duomini. I want to be preaching about the gospel. I want to be preaching about God. And that was his goal throughout his whole life. But for my first uh, years of life, for like my first 12 years of life, my dad was actually a businessman. So I didn't really see him as a pastor. He was just my dad. He loved the Lord, but I didn't see him as like a pastor or somebody who was ministering. Um, and then when I turned about 13 years old, he decided he's going to step into ministry. He's actually going to, uh, he felt very strongly that God was calling him out now. And he was really the major breadwinner in our family. So it had a huge impact on us when he stepped out into ministry. And it was really a pivotal moment for our family. Um, I remember we had some really hard and difficult times. But one thing I also remember is that my dad never spoke about it from stage. He never went up to say, hey, this is what I went through and this is what God did. And, you know, and I think that that's great when we share our stories. But I just noted that my dad never shared this. He never said it in group settings. He never shared it on stage. And so one day I was curious. I was like, um, Dad, why have you never shared this? Why have you? It's a powerful testimony. Why don't you share it? And I remember he just got this very serious look in his eyes and... He was quiet for a moment, and then he just said to me, it's because it's sacred to me. Um, and at the time, I didn't really, it didn't really settle in for me, but this week as I was dwelling on that memory, I just realized that for my dad, there's joy in that suffering. There was joy for him in giving up, um, even though it was hard, giving that up for the sake of knowing Christ. And so... You might be thinking, well, what's similar about these stories? Because one is very joyful, very light, very easy. The other is a bit more weighty, a little bit more serious. Well, it's simply this, that at the heart of my parents' lives, they truly enjoy God. They delight in who He is. And that's what I want to speak about today. Um, their devotion to Him flows from a place of delight. So for today's main scripture, I'd like to read from Philippians 3, verse 1 to 11. And while you go there in your Bibles, I'd just like to give some historical context. Um, Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, and the overall theme of Paul's letter is encouragement. So his letter um, is to encourage the church to remain devoted, devoted to loving God and to living out their lives as citizens of a heavenly kingdom. Um, and the scripture we're looking at today is kind of Paul's final thoughts before he moves to conclude his letter. And this is important because it's sort of his climax and the heart of what he's truly trying to say. So I'd like to read from verse 1, and it says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. I actually want to read that again. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. It took me a really long time to realize that Paul writes a very short and simple sentence when he starts out his final thoughts. It's very short. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. 
full stop, he's done. That's his thought. And it took me a really long time to realize this. But I think the simplicity of what Paul is trying to say here is so profound. He wants the people to rejoice in the Lord. There's no comma. There's no because. He doesn't say rejoice in the Lord because he's good. He is good, but he doesn't say that. He doesn't keep adding reasons we should do this because of. He just says rejoice in the Lord. So I believe Paul is being very intentional in this because of what he says next. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. So Paul actually speaks about rejoicing throughout the book of Philippians. I think he mentions it four times in previous chapters. And then he'll continue to mention this exact same thought another two times in chapter four. And so this is really his theme and his heart behind his message and encouragement. Um, and so when he says that, to say this over and over again for you guys is no problem for me. He's saying, I'll keep repeating this. And he says that he finds it no issue because it's actually beneficial for them. So beneficial for them that it's safe for them. And I was like, how is rejoicing in the Lord safe for me? That's a very strange word to use, safe. But he says that it's safe for them to rejoice in the Lord. So Paul has already spoken, well, verse two, um, Paul continues and he says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers and look out for those who mutilate the flesh. This is very strong language. Who are these people? Who are these dogs, these evildoers, those who mutilate the flesh? I'm imagining some really like tough people, but actually Paul was referring to the Jews of the day. So back in the day, the Jews would often refer to Gentiles as dogs, as a way to insult them because they were unclean in their minds. And so Paul, in irony, turns this back on them and calls them the dogs. The Jews also put a high value on upholding the laws of God, the laws that Moses gave to them as a nation. And so to call them evildoers is an extreme insult. And then he doesn't even stop there, but for the Jews to be a true worshiper of God, you had to be circumcised as a male. You had to be circumcised in the flesh. And so he says, you mutilate the flesh. And so Paul just creates this picture of really the strong language of saying, this is what you believe in, but this is how you are. So what is Paul really saying here? Um, what is the danger of these people? Why should we watch out for them? Verse three, for we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For this sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So Paul says that 
We worship because we have received the true circumcision of our hearts. And this is not by what we've done or what we continue to do, but it is by the Spirit of God, which unveils the heart to what Jesus did for us on the cross, where he died for our sins and he resurrected um, and overcame the dead. So why is there this comparison? Why does he compare himself to the Jews? Why does he compare the Church of Philippi to the Jews and say, look out for the Jews. Well, I essentially believe it's this. The Jews of the day put their confidence in their flesh, their ability to uphold the law and follow tradition and lead seemingly godly lives. They devoted themselves to religious practices and traditions and to being good. But Paul strongly encourages the church not to follow this kind of devotion, not to follow after this example of devotion. Why is that? There is no gain in the life. um, And that kind of devotion will only lead to death because those who worship God can take no confidence in the flesh. There's nothing we did and there's nothing we can do to be more acceptable to God. It is only by his power and by his sacrifice that we are able to worship him. And Paul uses himself as an example and says, if I have to use this measuring stick that the Jews use, I... I'm essentially the standard. I fulfilled all of these standards. He says he's a Hebrew of Hebrews. He knew which tribe he came from. And back in the day, um, at that time in history, the Israelites didn't always know which tribe they came from. He's like, I even knew what tribe I came from. And so he's kind of saying like, this standard that the Jews had, I fulfilled all of it. But then he goes on to say something very profound and he says, but if it gets in the way of me knowing Christ, I count it as a loss. I do not take pride in where I come from or what I look like or what I've done or how amazing I was in the past. I take pride in Christ. That's what I look to. I delight in the Lord. See, the joy of knowing the Lord was far more important to Paul than his heritage, than what he thought of the world. It was far more important to him to know Jesus. And so for Paul, there was nothing safer than to rejoice in God to delight in Him and enjoy Him. And from a place of delight in God flows a life of true and unwavering devotion. Paul's encouragement to the church of Philippi is to continue being devoted to living out the lives um, of citizens in the kingdom of heaven from a place of enjoying God and not from a place of religious obligation. As I was preparing this sermon, I was really, really challenged because I think in my mind, I've always compared devotion to obligation in my head. And I'm sure like all the married people in here are like, oh no, she's not ready. (laughs) Um, But it's just a reality. When I think of religious devotion, I think of obligation. I think of all the rules I have to follow, the prayer meetings I have to attend, everything that I have to get right. But that is actually not what devotion is at all. See, obligation means to um, legally or morally act. um, So you're legally or morally bound to an action or a person. That's what obligation means. But when I looked up the word devotion, excluding religious devotion, it just said love, loyalty, and enthusiasm. That was the word for devotion. That was the description. And I was so challenged by that because am I devoted to God because I enjoy Him? Or am I just fulfilling obligation? So when I, as Pastor Dennis mentioned, I 
um, I'm passionate about missions. I really want to go all over the world and just preach the word of God. Um, and it really stemmed from a place of relationship with God. Um, I really had so much fun with God. And I know, you know, when you talk about missions, you're supposed to say, oh, God convicted me of this. And I just want to go to those people because I saw this kind of hardship and I want to speak to that. I believe God wants to reach them. And I do agree with those, but those are really secondary reasons for me. I was just really passionate about the presence of God. And so I was like, I know where God is. He's with the hurting. He's with the broken. And so I want to be where he is. I want to follow after him. I want to go deeper into his heart. And that's really how I started out on pursuing missions. But then along the way, it got a little bit hard. Raising the finances wasn't so easy. I'm still not there. Um, and then kind of laying down my plans to come to Every Nation West Coast, which has been amazing. Um, it still got even harder. I found myself being really challenged in a lot of areas, um, places I never thought I'd be challenged in. And it got to a point where I was like, Lord, I'm not good enough. Like, I'm not good enough for this. I cannot measure up to the standard. I cannot do what I need to do because I just don't have it in me. And it became really, really hard. And what happens in moments of hardship is that it tends to snuff out our joy for God. And so I got to a place where I was living in obligation and not devotion. And this week, God really convicted me about that. And he said, I want you to enjoy me. I don't want you to be ob obligated to me. I don't want religious practices. Those don't make me happy. I want you to enjoy me. And that's really what I feel like God is saying to us today. Are you enjoying him? Because that's what he wants. John Piper in his book, Desiring God, writes, God is not worshipped where he's not treasured and enjoyed. Praise is not an alternative to joy, but the expression of joy. Not to enjoy God is to dishonor him, to say to him that something else sacrifices you, uh, something else satisfies you more is, uh, is the opposite of worship, it's sacrilege. And I was really convicted when I read this because I'm busy reading the book, uh, Desiring God, and I would highly recommend it. Um, but I was really convicted because I thought of this moment this year where I was standing outside in our old venue and Pastor Dennis was with me and he was asking how, how I'm doing. And I remember kind of, I don't know if he remembers it, but I remember kind of saying to him something along the lines of, how much more am I going to have to sacrifice in this pursuit? And when I think about it now, I feel kind of sad that I even said that. Because when you taste and see the goodness of God, there's no great sacrifice. There's no sacrifice too great. Um, and it's not... I'm not saying it's not hard to sacrifice. It is hard, but it's so worth it for the sake of knowing Christ. And I'm truly convicted of that today as I stand before you. I don't have necessarily all the right words to express it, um, but I do believe God wants us to take joy in Him. It is human nature to seek after our own happiness and pleasure. We all want to be happy and enjoy life, and I don't think that is a sin. No one is looking for a horrible time, at least nobody I know. <laughs> but it is also human nature to look for happiness in things that are fleeting and temporary. Blaise Pascal wrote, There once was in a man a true happiness of which now remains to him only the mark and empty grace which he in vain tries to fill from all his surroundings, seeking from things absent the help he does not obtain in things present. 
but these are all inadequate because the infinite abyss can only be filled by an infinite and immutable object, that is to say, only by God himself. Jesus shares a beautiful uh, parable in the book of Matthew in chapter 13, verse 44, and it says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. I'm sure it's not easy to sell all that you have, but the joy of knowing God just makes us want to. I know my brother, um, when he was in his late teens, me, early teens, uh, he read a book by, on Brother Yan's life. Uh, he's a very famous missionary from back in the day, but Brother Yan suffered quite a lot for the gospel. Um, and I remember my brother read this book, and after reading this book, he came to me, and he was like, yo, I want to suffer for God can't relate. Uh, I was like, no thanks. Um, And I mean, when he says suffer, I'm not talking about like, oh, he just wants to go into ministry, like give up finances and everything. He was saying he wants to go to closed nations. He wants to go like where they torture Christians for the gospel. And I was like, you go, you. (laughs) Can't relate personally. Um, And so I was just reflecting on it again this week and just thinking like, that is the power of knowing God. When we think of these people in the Bible who have given up so much for following God, it wasn't from a place of obligation or religion. It was from a devotion that came from their joy in God. And I I just feel like God is saying, that's it. That's all he requires is just for you to enjoy him as he enjoys you. Where there's great delight, there's great devotion. And Jesus shows this when he comes down for us. He delighted in us. And so he devoted himself to essentially a very hectic thing. I mean, giving up your life for someone is big. But Jesus, in all of his glory, in all of his amazing majesty, came down, made himself human, and died on the cross so that we may know God and enjoy him just so that we may enjoy him. And that's essentially what Jesus is saying here in the book of Matthew, where he says that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. What is the ultimate purpose of man? The the theologians of old answered this question with this simple conclusion. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And John Piper in his book, Desiring God, kind of amends this saying and he says, the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. That the way we worship God is by enjoying him. The way we devote ourselves to God is by enjoying him. So if our devotion is half-hearted, maybe what we're actually struggling with is our appetite for God. I believe God wants us to hunger for him. He wants more than the right living and the phlegmatic obedience, but he wants true devotion. Devotion that does not waver in the face of difficulty or grow weary under trial and hearts that truly delight in who he is. And that's my sermon for today. (laughs) 